Good morning, and uh, welcome. Very glad you're here. Um, Scott, as he me- Scott mentioned last week, that he was going to take a four-week uh, preaching break. That's a study break, by the way. I'm sure he would want you to know, like, he's not taking a month vacation, just so you know. So if you ask him about his vacation, just don't ask him about a vacation. He's doing a study break. He's just not preaching for a few weeks. And he does this every summer. It's a good chance for him to be able to catch up and uh, look ahead at what's going to happen in August and beyond. And so me and a few other people are going to be filling in for him over the next few weeks. And uh, as you know, we've been in 2 Peter. We did 1 Peter uh, previously, and now we're spending the month of July in 2 Peter. So you can go ahead and turn to your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, and today we're going to be in verse 15. We're going to start there. Um, As Scott mentioned, uh, well, as he he showed us last week from the introduction of uh, uh, 2 Peter, that there's a call on all believers uh, to pursue what what Peter calls godliness, uh, that as we come to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, there should be growth that happens uh, in our life, that God has given us all things that we need for life and for godliness, and that with those, pract- those helps and promises, uh, he, he gives us promises for the future, along with salvation uh, through faith in, in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, gives us practical helps along the way and calls us to, he, he gives a, a, a progression there to supplement our faith with virtue and so forth and so on. And, and we could sum that up by saying that we're to pursue lives of godliness. And when he talked about practical helps um, last week, he mentioned the three biggest ones, right? And that'd be the spirit and the word and the church. So as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have the word of God right, in, in the Bible, and we have the church, the community of faith. And the, the thing is that that's, it, it's kind of a package deal, right? If you, if you have two of them, but you neglect one of them, you're gonna be missing something. If you have the word in the church, but you don't have the spirit, well, you don't have life, <laughs> right? You, you need the spirit. The spirit is, is who enacts salvation in us, right? Uh, who applies salvation to us. If we don't have the spirit and we just have a, a, a bunch of people getting together and reading the Bible, but there's no spirit, we're missing the life. If we have the spirit and we have the word, but we don't have church, then we miss out on community and shepherding and accountability, things that we very much need in the Christian life. And if you have the spirit and the church, but no word, then you're gonna be missing out on the truth. And it's, it's that part that we're talking about today. We need all three, but today's passage is going to zero in on our need for the word of God. Scripture provides the objective, clear truth that we need to really know who God is, what he's done for us, and how we relate to him, and how we can live our lives in response to what he's done. Now, I want to be, do want to be clear. Uh, we're, we're going to be talking about the Bible today, right? A person can be saved. They can become a Christian without ever having cracked a Bible open, right? Thief on the cross, right? The New Testament had not been written yet. He simply knows Jesus himself, and that's all he's got, okay? So, so a person can become a Christian without ever opening a Bible, but the message uh, of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection 
for them and the need to repent and believe, that is the content of the Word of God. And so it's the Word of God that we need. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, it says in Romans 10. And so even though a person can become a Christian without ever opening a Bible, they can't become a Christian without hearing the Word of God, the message of Jesus. So I want to be clear, like, you know, a person doesn't have to read the entire Bible cover to cover in order to be a Christian, but Christians need the Word of God. We need the Bible. And so with that, let's read from 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. In verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the, the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word for us today. You can be seated. Well, the primary command in this passage is to pay attention. He says, we would do well to pay attention, but the big question might be pay attention to what? Now, I've already kind of given that away. We're, talking, we're going to talk about the Bible today. Essentially, we can take what he's saying to mean that we're to, to pay attention to the Bible. And our application from this passage today is going to mainly focus on how Christians are to think about Scripture as a whole. But it might be helpful for us to just think about where Peter is when he's writing this and what's going on in the world and where we are in terms of uh, the New Testament, things like that. During Jesus' earthly ministry, the Old Testament had been accepted as, as God's word already. It had been put together, uh, accumulated, received, and accepted. Jesus taught uh, in line with it, affirmed it, affirmed the commandments and everything. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, him expounding on and giving clarity to stuff that's already been shown uh, uh, greatly in the Old Testament. So that's, that's happening. And so uh, that's why Christians would take the Old Testament. That's why your Bible isn't just the New Testament. It's, an, it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And at the time that Peter wrote this letter, Jesus' teachings and the accounts of his life had already been put into, into writing by at least Mark, who was an, a close associate of Peter, and Luke, who's a close associate of Paul, and Paul have, had written all, uh, most, if not all, of his letters already. And so some of what we have as the New Testament, a good deal of it, had already been written. But there were maybe some things that hadn't been written yet, right? Uh, like the Gospel of John. Um, and so he's talking about what we will now understand to be the New Testament. Um, so while that's the case, while it's not all, all, all been written yet at the time Peter is uh, uh, sharing this, uh, he's generally writing about the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. So when he's saying we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, he's talking about the message 
and the ministry of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the message that Jesus gave to the apostles. So everything that he taught the, the disciples now apostles, right? Both publicly, like we get in the gospels, some privately, some of which we get in the gospels. And then after Jesus was resurrected, he spent time with the apostles afterwards and he gave them what now is the teaching of the apostles, which is what we get in the rest of the New Testament. As they were writing letters, uh, explaining things to churches, we receive that, we have those in the New Testament. And the other, the other thing important for us to understand is that Peter, in this passage and in other places uh, throughout the New Testament, is putting the apostles' teaching, we see it in what we just read, he's putting the apostles' teaching on equal footing with the, the Old Testament, uh, essentially. One place that would, would help clue you into it would be later in, we'll, we'll get to this, so I don't want to spoil it, uh, but later in Second Peter, he calls the letters of Paul scripture. He says that people twist uh, his, his teachings like they t- t- uh, twist other scripture. And so Peter is saying the teaching of the apostles that we have at this point and that will be the New Testament are the apostles' teaching and Jesus' teaching and we should hold to them as we do scripture. So that's, that's what we're going to talk about. Our application today is going to say, even though some of the New Testament hadn't been written yet, we're gonna say this is the Bible. This is God's word as we have it now is what he was talking about. So that's what it is. If he says we're gonna do well to pay attention, we're paying attention to what? The Bible. We're paying attention to God's word. The, the next thing would be, it'd be good, you know, it's good for us to know that we should pay, that we need to pay attention to something, but it might be helpful for us to know why we need to pay attention to it, right? Uh, it's important for us to know the reason. Now, uh, if maybe you were in school um, and you had a very gracious teacher uh, who had some kind of mechanism in their lectures that indicated to you when something was going to be on an exam, right? That they might, t- if you had one of those, like, you know, some teachers are like, anything I say could be on the exam. But sometimes you got a gracious one, they're gonna be like, if I write something on the board, or if I tap three times on the, the, the podium, or if I do something, then it's gonna indicate you, to you what I'm about to say is very important, you need to know it. Or they might say, write this down, or something like that, right? And Peter's doing that for us in this passage. If you look at verse 15, he says, I will make every effort that after my departure you may be able to at any time recall these things. He's saying, you need to remember this and I wanna make sure that you remember this. And then he says, you would do well to pay attention to it. And then this uh, section, 16 to 21, is kind of an aside that gives us the here's why. Now when the teacher's teaching, you know it's gonna be on the test, right? But now he's gonna give us the why. Why should we pay attention to scripture? So uh, this morning we're gonna talk about three things, three reasons that we need to pay attention to scripture, to God's word. Uh, They are its origin, its finality, and its function. And I know I've got two Fs in there and I didn't go for the third F, all right? But I couldn't find one. It's, you know, Jason had one for me. I, just, I wasn't satisfied with it, so I just kept it. Okay, so origin, finality, and function. Scripture's, scripture's origin is from God and not from man. Scripture's finality in that the gospel opens to us the fullness of God's plan and the function of Scripture as our guide. So those are our three things that we'll cover today. First, Scripture's origin. Peter opens our passage by stating that he and the apostles weren't following what he calls cleverly devised 
myths. Now what we get from that is that either Peter and the other apostles are being accused by false teachers of devising clever myths, or that there are false teachers, uh, which we'll hear about next week, uh, so I'll try not to uh, give any spoilers on that, but we're going to hear about false teachers. It might be that they were uh, sharing myths. I, I feel a little bit like it's the second one. In First Timothy, we see something similar uh, where people, it says, um, He's warned uh, people from devoting themselves to myths uh, and endless genealogies, and he calls them irreverent, silly myths, and things like that. So many people think that what he's talking about here is, is a, a, a false teaching uh, heresy that would come up called Gnosticism, and this would be in its early forms. Um, and so it could be that the people are being tempted or shown by some false teachers to think about what Peter's calling myths. And he's saying, those are not the real thing. Those are myths. A myth might be interesting. Uh, a myth might be entertaining. But at the end of the day, a myth is just something that somebody made up, right? Um, so if a, a piece of news or teaching just comes out of somebody's head, but there's nothing to back it up, it doesn't come from the right source, then what good is that? And how many people have been led astray by something that was simply of human origin? Uh, and how many people have ordered their lives based on the saying or teaching of a person that they just pulled out of thin air that has nothing to do with the word of God. An easy example would be like diets, right? Like name the diet that was the fad when you were needing a diet. Okay, whether, and maybe that's right now, I don't know where you are. But like every, like every couple of years, there's a new like hip thing, right? Or is coffee good for you or is it bad for you? Uh, or, or things like that. Like there, there's all these different um, things that we just get out of people's heads. But there are more, obviously, more serious things than that. I'm just not going <laughs> to say them right now. But, like, there are serious things. People have ordered their lives based on something that has nothing to do with God's word. And it's just somebody that has a charismatic personality that people fall in line with, and they just set their whole life up based on a lie. And Peter's saying, that's not us. What we have is not simply a man-made myth. It comes straight from God. Now, why is that? First, he says, because they're eyewitnesses. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter cites his experience with the transfiguration, and we'll get to that in just a minute because that'll have to do with our second point. But first, let's think about this idea of eyewitnesses. The apostles lived with Jesus. They listened to him speak. They watched him care for people. They saw him well up with compassion when people needed something. They touched him. They were amazed when they, and surprised when they saw him perform miracles. They were nervous when the authorities got closer and closer and, and noticed him. They feared for his safety. They were terrified when he said that he would die to the point that they, Peter, tried to tell him, no, <laughs> let's see how we can stop this from happening, right? They were terrified when the guards came to take him away and they wept as they watched him be crucified and they wept when they buried him and they rejoiced when he rose again. They put their hands in the scars in his hands and they heard him explain why he had to die, what it had accomplished. And then they heard him make the command to go and make disciples for them. So the, the apostles saw Jesus, they were eye 
witnesses. It's not a myth that Peter's putting out here. He's saying we saw it ourselves. You know, in court, an eyewitness is going to be a much better testimony than somebody who just has an idea about something, right? You wouldn't even hear about that. So we would do well to pay attention to the eyewitness testimony of Scripture. When we're reading it, I'm sure you were affected in the same way that I was last week uh, when Scott gave that beautiful um, uh, paragraph on when we are holding this, right? When we're holding this, we're holding the words of people, of Jesus himself and of people who were there, who talked to him. They're eyewitnesses. So of course we should listen to what it has to say. Secondly, not only are they eyewitnesses, uh, because eyewitnesses might not always be credible, right? Because you can forget things. But these aren't just eyewitnesses. They're more credible than eyewitnesses because they are supernaturally aided eyewitnesses. Okay, Jesus in John 14 said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so uh, Jesus is saying through the Holy Spirit, he's gonna take up anything that might be forgetful in our own, like I forget all kinds of things. I don't know about you. I I forget where my keys are all the time and stuff like that, right? So I might not make a very credible eyewitness, but Jesus is saying to his disciples, where you might be forgetful in an ordinary way, you will not be forgetful when it comes to relaying what I have taught to you. It is trustworthy. So not only are they um, eyewitnesses, they're supernatural The Holy Spirit is going to help them bring everything to mind that God wants his people to know in his word, right? Um, And he confirms this idea at the end of our passage in verses 20 and 21. It says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. He, he's, he's touching on a doctrine that we would call the inspiration of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture. Inspiration just means exactly what he says here. Men spoke from God. And that means in Scripture, we could say correctly that like Paul is the author of Romans. When we read it, we read Paul. Like we, we get his personality. We get that he likes a lot of like run-on sentence kind of stuff. He gets real excited and he writes a lot in there, right? We get that. And we get that when we're reading John, uh, John loves to talk about light and darkness. John loves to make connections between events and spiritual things. Like we see how the personalities of these people is showing through. So it would be right for us to say that John is the author of John and that Paul is the author of Romans, Peter's the author of Second Peter, you know, things like that. That's right for us to say. We're not saying that they go into a trance and they write this verbatim thing down you know, without any coming in of their personality. But what is being said is that they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. The inspiration of scripture means that God in his divine sovereignty has worked in the hearts and minds of the people who wrote down the scriptures so that the very words that they were writing are exactly the words that he intended for them to write. They're completely correct and without error, and yet we can see in reading them that their personality is maintained in all of that. And so in, uh, in his sovereignty, God has given us exactly what we need 
and they are true in every way, completely without error, and we can trust that it is the word of God. These people were carried on, carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. That's what inspiration means. It means that they can't, the words themselves came from God down through the men who spoke from God. So there's much more that we could say about inspiration. You know, one thing would be that the Bible is not comprehensive, right? The Bible is not everything that Jesus said and did. John said that he didn't write it all down because the world itself wouldn't contain the book, right? So the Bible is not comprehensive, but the Bible is what God has given us. He's shared everything that we need to know about him in it, and so we can trust that it's his word for us, and that's why we should pay attention to it because its origin is not from man. It's not a myth. It's not something somebody just pulled out of thin air. It's from God. So we should pay attention to it. Which brings us to the next thing, Scripture's finality. There's another element that Peter's touching on here. Um, Not only is Scripture authoritative and inspired by God, um, but something new has happened at the coming of Jesus that Peter is talking about here that we need to think about. When talking about eyewitness accounts, Peter decides that he's gonna cite the transfiguration. I just thought that was interesting, right? There were a lot of things that Peter experienced, and I think in my mind, I would have said, well, I would have said, well, I saw him raised again. I would have said, I saw, uh, I, I saw that he was dead, I was there, and then saw that he was raised. Instead, Peter cites this as his eyewitness testimony. I always thought that was, I always thought that was curious. Uh, so here's the Mark uh, account, uh, in Mark chapter nine, verses two to eight, of the transfiguration. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, for he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Here's here's why I think that Peter is is telling us this, because I think that his experience there speaks directly to what he's talking about in this passage. Not because it's the most, maybe it is the most amazing thing he saw, but I don't think that's the whole point. Peter made two mistakes in suggesting uh, that they make tents up there, right, and just hang out. One would be because of what he had done in other places, which was try to keep Jesus from dying on the cross. And she's like, I have, I have to do this. You get behind me, Satan. You know, that, so he, his first mistake was, again, uh, I can't remember if this is the first time or if this is another instance of it, but Peter's making a mistake. Jesus has more to do than just hang out on the mountain with Elijah and Moses. But I don't think that's the mistake that he's talking about here. I think we can see in God's response what Peter's mistake was. God appears to them in all his glory, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I think that Peter's second mistake, and the mistake that he is the reason he's including this, is he tried to lump Jesus in with Moses and Elijah. He thought that he and James and John were being led in on like the who's who of the prophets, 
and they were getting a backstage pass to get to meet all the cool stuff. The truth is that Moses and Elijah were getting in the backstage pass. There was something distinctly different about who Jesus is. In fact, I think Moses was being blessed in being allowed to meet Jesus because it was Moses who said in Deuteronomy 18, 15, prophesying about Jesus, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses prophesied that the Messiah would come and that they should listen to him. Peter didn't get it and God shows up and says, this is my son, listen to him. And then suddenly Moses and Elijah are gone and it's only Jesus that's there. So that's, that's a big deal. And that's like saying, pay attention, listen to him, pay attention, okay? Uh, so God's not uh, letting uh, Peter and James in on the transfiguration to set Jesus up as one of the prophets, but as the final, ultimate, end all revelation of himself. Jesus is greater than Moses, he's greater than Elijah. His coming and ministry and life and death and burial and resurrection, that whole thing is what all of the Old Testament points to. And this is why Peter says that they have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's saying the apostles, because they experienced Jesus, are bringing something, news, that gives us the key to everything else. It's like one of those movies that you've seen that has the surprise twist at the end, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna use one, even though I had a student that for like 10 years would not let it go, that I spoiled the sixth sense, all right? It's been 20-something years, people. Okay, so if you hadn't seen it, you could stop your ears for a second. Here's the deal. Bruce Willis is dead the whole time, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's been a quarter century. Um, so, after you see that, after you see that news, every time you watch the movie, you see, well, and, and when they're sharing it, just like in all these twist ending movies, while they're talking, there's like a montage of all the things that you missed that clued you in if you had just been smart enough, right, to see this is, he's dead the whole time. They're never making eye contact. They never actually acknowledge each other's presence. There's all this stuff that you see. Jesus does that with the Old Testament. Don't get me wrong, he was there the whole time, right? We just couldn't see it until he shared the surprise ending, or whatever you want to call it, right? It wasn't way out of the blue, but his coming brings us something that is significant. And if you, if you ignore the teachings of Jesus and what he passed on to the apostles, then you miss the whole rest of it and when you're reading through, you're just blind to what you actually need. And so Jesus brings a finality to it in that it, it enhances and reveals things that we couldn't know if we had only the Old Testament. And that is why we must pay attention to all of Scripture. It's final. Jesus brought it. He brought it all forward. It was all pointing to him. It, it was him the whole time, <laughs> okay? So that's, that's origin is not from man, it's from God. It's, it's finality. Jesus is the key to everything in the Old Testament and, and the New. And then finally, we should pay attention to Scripture because of its function. He says in verse 19 that we should pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. 
Now this gives us both like a quality of scripture as well as an attitude that we need to regard, with which we should regard it. So we, we have a quality of scripture is that uh, it's like a light shining in a dark place. Scripture provides us with God's insight into the world around us and how we're to live and where we should put our hope. It's a light in a dark place um, in that it illuminates our lives in a way that nothing else is going to be able to do. Now, the trick here is, and this is, I feel like as, as the youth pastor here, I spend a lot of time living in this area, which is that we are constantly bombarded with counter messages to scripture. And that's really, I think, what Peter's getting at when he talks about a dark place. As people who are in Christ, this is not our home, right? We're waiting for Jesus to return, and it's like we're in the darkness and we have light that we have access to that the rest doesn't. But we spend a great deal of our time and energy looking at and being talked to by the darkness. And it's, it's frequent that those messages can make their way in and affect us and take our eyes off of the light and because of that, take us off of the track of what God has for us. So if, if we were just talking about godliness, the message of Jesus and all of the scripture of, of what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to believe as Christians and where we should put our hope, if we spend all of our time being bombarded uh, with, with the opposite messages, that can be a problem. And primarily because it's darkness. It's not light. It's not just an alternative worldview kind of thing. It's the truth. It's the light and everything else is darkness. So what I wanna do is just take a moment and think about where the darkness misses the big questions that make every bit of difference about how we're supposed to live and interact with the world. So some big questions. Number one is who are we? If we listen to uh, the darkness, we get a couple of different explanations for this, okay? So number one might be that we're, you know, we, we live in a long line of evolved animals and we're the product of millions of years of accident that has no real divine intervention uh, at all. It's basically just uh, meaningless. Um, and I think not many people really believe that in full. I think that people like might say that a little bit, but man, it takes a great deal of mental fortitude to look at a child in the eyes and say, you are meaningless, and to really believe that. But that is, that is a message that is out there. Um, yeah, and I, I think at the same time, that, that's a message that we get from the, dark, the darkness, the dark side. Um, and some, uh, somehow that view comes also along this idea that we are whoever we choose to be. We're all kind of like our own individual gods, and you are like the, the king of your kingdom, and you get to decide who you are down to every last thing about yourself, and that, and that you, that, that's it. You're, you're in charge. You decide who you are. You make your own meaning, and that kind of thing. That just seems hopeless also. But Scripture tells us that we're creatures, that we've been created by a loving creator who has given us a purpose. That's important for us to understand, which brings us to maybe another big question that, that we get bombarded by, um, which is what is our purpose in life, right? So the darkness, uh, dark side gives us several options. 
uh, for what purpose of life is. But I think if we boiled it all down, the flavor of the day uh, is that your purpose in life is to like figure out who you are and shout that from the rooftops, right? You need to like create a very well curated individualistic picture of yourself that is 100% unique from everyone else, set of beliefs, set of identity markers, uh, everything from your physical appearance down to you know, everything else. And then when you have that, it is your job, it is your purpose in life to express that thing. And so you walk around and you, you, you share that with everybody, you tell, you tell them what makes you, uh, what makes you you and why you're so much more different and unique than everybody else in the world and that's your end in life. That seems like a lot of pressure to me. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I, that just seems like a lot of pressure and we see people cracking under that pressure. That's hard. But scripture flips those selfish notions about like what we're here for and shows us that because we're creatures, we're made for a purpose and that purpose is to interact with God, to have a relationship with him and that he's made that possible, right? Um, and so to, to know him, to, to make him known, to worship him, to experience him, this is what we were made for. That is our purpose. That's, that's a very different uh, message than what we get from outside. Another one would be, what's truly wrong with the world? Like, what is humanity's greatest problem? Right? Um, it, many people will say that, it ha that all of our problems are external. And I don't want to, I'm going to list a couple, I don't want to like belittle those and say these aren't problems, but I think if we can really miss out on what the root problem is. So from, from outside, we would say, the, uh, we would see that the external problems are the issue like uh, environmental problems, lack of education, uh, uh, structures, and things like that. That these are our issues, and they're all external. And if we could just fix these external pro problems, we would be able to, you know, transcend to our true potential. And I think we should, you know, put energy into fixing external problems. But if we think that's the only problem, then, then we're running around blind. Because Scripture tells us that our real problem, what is truly wrong with the world, is that we have sinful hearts. And for us to say, follow your heart and find your own way, flies in the face of what scripture says, which is the heart is desperately wicked. Above all things, who can know it, right? And so we're getting the starting place of what's wrong with the world uh, uh, wrong. And then everything we try to do to fix that is gonna not be uh, the right way to go. And another one would, would just be morality. In general, like who decides what is right and wrong? Is it just whatever you feel is right? Is your feeling about a, a thing in a moment what makes it right? Is it that we all get together and vote on what's right? Or are there things that are, that are built in uh, that are right? And scripture would say, no, God has created the world. And in that he has created a law, a, a law of nature, a law, a law that uh, should be written on our hearts. And we break that. So th that's, that, that's what we have there. So the, the question is, we live in a dark place. Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit, right? <laughs> and, and we uh, spend a lot of time listening to what people that are spiritually blind have to say and intaking a great deal of what people who are spiritually blind have to say when we're supposed to look at God's word 
as a lamp in a dark place. So what I want to do for the last couple of minutes that we have together is just uh, spend a few minutes applying this. Number one would be, if we're going to take God's word and we're going we're to truly pay attention to it, we know that it's from God, we know that it was inspired by the Spirit, uh, we know that it's, it's got its final word in Jesus, and we know that, that we're to follow it like this lamp in the dark place, right? What does that actually look like? Number one is take it in. I know you, know, you get a lot of this, like we talk about reading our Bible a lot, but it's, it's true, right? If we're going to pay attention to it, we need to know what it says. Okay, so everybody, uh, uh, be listening to it, be reading it, be studying it, be meditating on it, memorizing it, make it a part of what you do. Think about all of the uh, uh, junk that we take in. If we could just make a fraction of what we're taking in uh, be what's God's word, it will help us. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen this video uh, so do yourself a favor when you go home. Not right now, teenagers. Um, if I ever say anything about like a YouTube video, I can rest assured that somebody's watching it in the back, all right? So when, you're, when you go home or you're at lunch or something today, look up this, uh, this video. It's the Kimyal people uh, from West Papua, which is a province of Indonesia, which we prayed about during the prayer. And um, they... Uh, were brought the gospel a long time ago, but they waited 47 years before the Bible was translated into their own language. And if you look this video up, Kimyal, K-I-M-Y-A-L, they video this, this tribe of people receiving their copies of the Bible for the first time in their language. And it is the most beautiful thing you ever saw in your life. They like make this Ark of the Covenant type structure that they carry it into their town and they're singing. And man, the pastor's prayer is just beautiful. He talks about how like, uh, like the promise of Simeon being able to touch Jesus before Simeon died. He's like, this is the promise that I would be able to read God's word in my language. You know, it's this beautiful thing, right? Those people know to pay attention to God's word. And we would do well to pay attention to it, to read it. Second thing would be use it to discern. Use God's word to discern what is true, okay? So we all the time have actors and musicians and talking heads telling us all kinds of stuff, right? So should we blindly take everything that we are told. First of all, who said that because you can write a catchy tune that you know something about anything? And who said because you can pretend to be someone that you're not on camera that you know anything about anything? Or because you are able to gather information about a news story and relay that to people that you know the truth? Who decided this, right? So listen to the catchy tunes, it's fine. But, but discern what you're being taught by reading God's word and comparing it to what's being taught and say yes to God's word and no to the lies that are out there. Friends, this is, this is, like, this is the problem that we have, I, I think. And, and I'm gonna get to us as a church in a moment, but I really think if we would walk through our days and test everything by scripture, we would be doing much better in our unity, in our godliness, uh, in the spread of the gospel. It would, it would really help. Like, I, I keep going. Um, submit to it. 
Say yes to God's word now, permanently, and don't let it like be like a gut level thing on everything that you read. This is, this is another problem we have, is if we get to something in scripture that challenges us or we don't like, we say, I don't really like that. I guess I don't believe in that. And that's, that's what we see a lot, of, a lot of people doing today. They get to something that they probably should have read years ago and they finally get to it. Uh, and by the time they've taken in all the actors and news heads and YouTube videos and all these things before they ever actually got to scripture and they've already said yes to all those things and then they get to scripture and they're like, well, I already have accumulated all this other stuff that I'm saying yes to, so I gotta say no to that. So say yes to God's word now. And that way, when you are convicted by something you read about your life, you're in a position that says, I will say yes to this because it's what God has for me. So submit to it. And then finally, together, <laughs> right? Um, like this and most of the letters in the New Testament, this is to a group of believers. So it's not just each of us as individuals. I think we definitely should say yes to scripture, read it, take it in, pay attention. But as a church, brothers and sisters, this is what we will need forever. If Grace Community Church is going to continue to be a gospel-centered, kingdom-building church, God's word must be at the center of it now and forevermore. And that's why you get here and Scott's not giving you eight steps to a happy whatever. And that's why we open up scripture together because it's important. So we should do it in here and then we should go out and, and do it on our own. The last thing that I'll, I'll, I'll close this with, um, maybe, maybe this is the last thing. I'm sorry, I'm gonna switch it up. We're not just talking about an alternative worldview. We're talking about where do we put our hope? And what he says in here, he says a lamp shining in a dark place. We live in a dark place. And we're not just talking about a better, happier way to live. He says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, that's the coming of Jesus. And that means God's word is what will give us hope, his precious promises, and his guides for how we can love him and live for him are what will get us to that day so let's pay attention to it together. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that we have your word. We are so grateful that, that you and your spirit have, have given us everything that you need for us to know about you. And so Lord, we pray that out of the, the joy um, that we receive in, in forgiveness from you, Lord, that our response would be a hunger for your word, a willing acceptance of your word, a desire to submit to your word. And Lord, let us as a congregation, let Grace Community Church hang on your every word until the day that you return. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.